The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of God speaks to us. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kristen. Well, good morning. It's uh, really good to be with you guys um, on this first day of 2023. And congratulations for getting up and actually making it here. You know, may, may God grant you extra stars in your crowns. <laughs> now, probably not as many stars as the ones we'll get who were here at the nine. But still, good job, good job. And it's, it's also special to have you kids in here with us today, too. So um, today we're going to wrap up our series where we've been looking with longing towards the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to be talking about two of my favorite people in the Bible, Simeon and Anna. The last few weeks, I've been thinking about all of the plays and the pageants celebrating Jesus' birth that I've seen through the years, and and I've seen a lot of them. Um, A couple were pretty amazing productions. They They were big productions with live animals and professional actors who never missed a cue and sets that looked like something from a a Hollywood movie. Uh, But most of the plays I've seen were a lot more humble than that, with uh, kids being dressed up by their moms to to look like shepherds and and, uh, sheep and uh, wise men. And, um, And during those plays, occasionally one of the angels will start missing his mom. 
and uh, he will abandon his post at the stable to go and, uh, and sit with his parents in the, in the audience. Those are my favorites. But in all those pageants and plays that I've seen, I've never seen one that included Simeon and Anna. And these two people, this old man and this old woman, had important roles to play um, as God revealed his son in the earth. So we're going to include them today in our retelling of this story, our production. So let me set the stage for, um, for what we're going to do today, and then we'll get started. So our script this morning has a cast of thousands. Uh, the, the population of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' birth is about the same as the population of Edmund today. But Jerusalem was a small walled city, so it had walls for protection all the way around it. So imagine the entire population of Edmund crowded into an area smaller than Mitch Park. See, that was Jerusalem. It was cozy in there. And at the heart of Jerusalem was the temple. And in the middle of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was a room where the presence of God actually dwelt. Now, we might imagine the temple like uh, a quiet monastery or a, a hushed cathedral, but it wasn't anything like that. We know that the outer court of the temple in Jesus' time was like an animal flea market with cattle and sheep and birds all for sale. And then inside the temple, those animals were being slaughtered as sacrifices to the Lord. So the temple was a noisy, smelly, uh, messy place. And it's described in quite a bit of detail in the Old Testament. But in first century Jerusalem, there was a problem. Though these were God's people going through the motions of doing what God had said to do, the heart had gone out of their worship. Their relationship with God had grown cold, and, and they were like on cruise control. They had fallen asleep at the wheel, and they were quickly drifting towards the ditch. Thirty years after his birth, Jesus would confront the religious leaders in the temple, saying, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites... See, you're going through the motions of worship, but your hearts and minds are someplace else. And if that was the condition of the leaders in Israel, you can know that the people weren't far behind them. The whole nation had fallen asleep at the wheel. But now, in the fullness of time, up the steps of the temple walks a peasant couple, Joseph and Mary, with their six-week-old son, Jesus, to dedicate him to the Lord. And the only people awake to receive them that day were this old man and this old woman. No one else paid them any attention. See, the priests were busy offering sacrifices. The Pharisees were busy teaching classes. See, everyone had things to do for God, and they didn't realize that God had just walked through the front door. So Simeon took Jesus up in his arms. Um, this painting of Simeon holding Jesus uh, came to our family in the form of a Christmas card quite a few years ago. And um, 
I, I love the expression on Simeon's face. See, what was he experiencing? I mean, all babies are cute, but from the verses that we just read, we know that Simeon understood that this just wasn't any baby. He knew that Jesus would be the glory of Israel and he would be a light for the Gentiles, which, by the way, describes most of us in this room today. See, um, He called Jesus God's salvation for all people. I suspect that Simeon knew that in his arms he was holding the one by whom all the worlds were created. The one who would one day deliver Simeon himself. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. See, and I think this painting captures Simeon's joy pretty well. Well, the book of Proverbs tells us that wisdom shouts in the streets. And part of what that means is that God hides his treasure right out in the open. See, but you have to have eyes in order to see it. It's right out there in the street, but you have to be able to see it. So again and again in the Gospels, Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. What was he talking about? Everybody in Jerusalem uh, then had two eyes and two ears. But as Mary, Joseph, and Jesus walked into the temple that day, only two old people were really listening for God's voice with their eyes wide open to see what God was doing. Matthew would write later that uh, Jesus said, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So God hides his treasure in plain sight, but you have to have eyes wide open in order to see it. Now, it's easy for us to be critical of the Pharisees and the scribes and the people of Israel for their hard hearts. But you know what the problem with that is? It's second nature for us to be just like them. See, it's second nature for us to go on autopilot and go through the motions of worshiping the Lord without a deep relationship with him. It's possible for us to be staring right at the treasure and never recognize it for what it is. So let's stop here and let's ask the Lord to help us as he speaks to us today to be able to see the treasure and hear the good news that he has for us. So, Father, we do come before you and we ask, God, that, that, you, would, um, that you would help us to really open our eyes and, and hear with our ears. Lord, that we could have hearts that would be open to you as you speak to us this morning. God, we're your people. And so we ask that you would, would help us today, that you would speak to us and that you would change us. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to read through these verses uh, in Luke line by line, uh, not only to hear the details of what happened in Jerusalem so long ago, but also so that we could see the treasure for ourselves that he has for us this morning. Um, 
Verse 22 tells us, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Luke is pointing us back here to the Old Testament, to Leviticus chapter 12, where there are detailed instructions for dedicating newborns to the Lord. And Luke quotes these Old Testament verses saying that the parents were being told to offer a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. But verse 8 of chapter 12 tells us that the birds were not the first choice. See, they were only a substitute offering for those who were too poor to offer a lamb. The lamb was the first choice. So in this verse, Luke is pointing out to us how poor Jesus' family was, the, the birth family that he was born into, see? And it's ironic that Joseph and Mary couldn't afford a lamb to dedicate the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. See, that, that really is ironic. Then in verse 25, we get introduced to our first um, of these two elderly people. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We're going to camp out in this verse. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning anchored in just this one verse. Uh, there's so much here. that we'll make little forays out in some of the other verses in this passage. Um, but verse 25 really says it all. First, we learn that the man's name is Simeon. That's it. Simeon. Who was he? Where did he come from? Why was he in Jerusalem? And, and what was he doing in the temple that day? See, Luke doesn't give us a clue, which I think is amazing. Up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, we've gotten a lot of detail on everybody else that's been introduced. We've learned that Herod was the king over Judah. Zacharias was an old priest of the division of Abijah who served in the temple. Elizabeth, his wife, was an older woman, a daughter of Aaron who was unable to have children. And Joseph was from the tribe of Judah, a direct descendant of King David. We find out that Caesar Augustus was ruling Rome at the time, and even, he even tells us that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. See? I mean, really? <laughs> um, we learned that um, in chapter 2 later on that Anna was a prophetess, and that Phanuel was her dad, and she was of the tribe of Asher. See, you talk about detail. But on Simeon, it's crickets. Who was he? Why is it that Luke didn't give us any detail about Simeon? I think it's because Simeon was no one in particular. See? If he had a title, it wasn't important. His lineage wasn't the point. What he did for a living could have been anything. Nobody in particular, but someone who loved God, was loved by God, and was appointed by God to a very specific role in a specific time and place. In other words, Simeon was just like you and me. 
Um, and Simeon's involvement in God's plan that day was very important. He was going to be the first person outside of Jesus' immediate family to recognize Jesus for who he was. And Simeon was going to amaze Joseph and Mary with a prophetic word about how Jesus' life was going to impact not only them personally, but the whole world. Simeon was no one in particular, but he was God's person in that time and that place. Simeon had a role to play, but he wasn't the only one with a role to play. We have a part in God's plan and purposes too. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has things for you and me that are prepared just for us. So, hidden in plain sight, here's our first piece of treasure today. Like Simeon and Anna, in God's grand drama, we all have a role to play. And that role will be based not primarily on our title or our lineage or our skills and abilities, but on our availability to God. People are constantly ranking one another based on ability. But God is looking for people who are available to him. Simeon and Anna were number one, awake to God, and number two, available to him. So they got to play. If you and I stay awake and stay available, we'll get to play too. Well, again, from verse 25, we learn that Simeon was righteous and devout. So what does that mean? Um, in its simplest terms, righteousness is relational rightness. Relational rightness. Simeon was right in his vertical relationship with God. There weren't any sins that he was trying to hide from God. And there was nothing that God had asked of him that he was fighting God about that he wasn't willing to do. And Simeon was right in his horizontal relationships with everyone else around him. See, no unforgiveness. And as much as it was possible for Simeon, he was living at peace with everybody. Simeon was relationally clear with everyone, which is the textbook definition of righteousness. Okay? Luke also tells us that Simeon was devout. Devout means a total commitment to a cause or a belief. So Simeon had gone all in in his commitment to the God of Israel. Now, does that mean that Simeon was being made righteous by all the sacrifices that he was making in the temple? I don't think so. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. The writer of Hebrews tells us, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. But Simeon was looking far beyond the law of Moses to that baby that was in his arms, to all that God was planning to do with that baby. Simeon was living by faith. So when God said in the law of Moses, offer a lamb or two pigeons, Simeon said, yes, sir. Recognizing 
that pigeons and doves weren't the real issue here. The important thing was obedience to what God had said. Those sacrifices were all pointing to Jesus anyway. See, he was about to become the ultimate one-time-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. So Simeon obeyed God, offered the sacrifices, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It was faith. Luke also tells us in verse 25 that Simeon was waiting. Waiting on the Lord is mentioned uh, over and over in the scripture, over 40 times. It's important for us to understand that waiting does not imply inactivity. Simeon was actively waiting. He wasn't just sitting there on the couch saying, okay, God, if you have anything for me to do, you know where I am, you know where to find me. Simeon was actively waiting. He was praying, he was fasting, he was listening for God's voice so that he could be in the temple just at the right time to meet Joseph and Mary and Jesus as they came in. This would probably be a good time to introduce us to Anna and bring her on the stage too. Down in verse 36 we read, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from the time she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Talk about waiting. Anna had been worshiping, fasting, and praying in the temple day and night for over 50 years. For over 50 years. These two old people had been actively waiting on God for a really long time. And waiting is not something that only Simeon and Anna are called to. We're called to wait too. So hidden in plain sight, here's our second piece of his treasure. Like Simeon and Anna... A big part of our role will be to wait on God. Amazing things happen to us when we wait on him. Um, One thing that happens is that our motives get sifted and refined. Wait long enough and we start to ask questions like, is God really faithful to do what he promised that he was going to do? Continue waiting on him for 20 or 30 years And we get to find out what's really in our own hearts. Waiting for a lifetime to see God do what he said he would do will also build something in us that the Bible calls patient endurance. Isaiah wrote, God gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who, what? Wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So for years, I thought that we were talking about two different groups of people there. First, we have the people who aren't doing a very good job of walking with God. See, they're faint, they're weary, they're exhausted. And then there's this other group, the people who prayed and read their Bibles, and they're soaring like eagles. See, I wanted to be in the second group. Um, I want to have increased strength. 
I want to mount up with wings like eagles. I want to run and not get weary and walk and not faint. But from where I stand now, I think there's really only one group. It's just us. We're it. If Simeon was really nobody in particular, he was just like you and me, then just like us, he had gotten impatient sometimes. He'd, he'd run out of steam. We all run out of steam sometimes. See, we all sometimes get faint and weary and exhausted. But as Simeon had learned to actively wait on the Lord and to rest in God's love for him, something amazing began to happen. So have you ever watched Oklahoma red-tailed hawks in the summertime as they're catching the thermals and, and floating up there? They just hover in the sky, effortlessly moving from one column of air to another, not expending a lot of energy, see? They're literally soaring above the earth and they're not flapping. They've learned how to wait for the thermals that God has provided for them, and then they ride them. Those birds are an excellent example of God's wisdom shouting in the streets and the sky. See, they really are. As we wait and wait and wait on the Lord, we stop anxiously flapping. See? We learn to pick up the currents of his spirit and we soar. Well, next in verse 25, we see that Simeon was waiting for something really specific. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Consolation is not a word that we use very often, but most often it just simply means comfort. See, Simeon was waiting for God to come and comfort his people. But listen to this much richer description that sociologist Arthur Frank gives us of consolation as it relates uh, to the field of medicine. Before and after fundamental medicine offers diagnoses, drugs, and surgery to those who suffer, it should offer consolation. Consolation is a gift. Consolation comforts when loss occurs or is inevitable. This comfort may be one person's promise not to abandon another. Consolation may render loss more bearable by inviting some shift in belief about the point of living a life that includes suffering. Thus, consolation implies a period of transition, a preparation for a time when the present suffering will have turned. Consolation promises that turning. So let that line sink in. Consolation implies a period of transition, a preparation for a time when the present suffering will have turned. Consolation promises that turning. Israel had been suffering for a long time, first under the Greeks and now under Roman domination. They'd suffered under religious leaders who um, Jesus would later describe as hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. Like all of us, they'd been suffering under the curse of their own brokenness that had come with the fall of mankind. But now, in this little baby who was both fully God and fully man, the Father was offering them and us consolation. 
Luke tells us that Anna had been waiting too. He says that when she saw Jesus, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Consolation and redemption. Not only would God's people be comforted and encouraged in their suffering, he would also buy them back and bring them back through Jesus to the Father. Consolation and redemption. Can you see how much like Simeon and Anna's world, our world is today? See, they had spent a lifetime waiting for the first coming of Jesus. And now we find ourselves waiting for his second coming. See? And, and just as surely as he came that first time, he'll come the second time too, making all things new. Aren't you glad that he has promised to make all things new and not all new things? See, he could have just looked at us and said, you guys are way too messed up. You're too rebellious. I'm done with you. I'm going to move you off to the side and I'm going to make all new things. That's not what he did. What he did is he looked at us and, he, and even in our brokenness, even in all the things that we don't get right, he said, I love you and I'm going to take you and I'm going to make all things new. I love it. The last part of verse 25 says about Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Then verse 26 tells us that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then in verse 27, it says he came in the Holy Spirit into the temple. That's a lot of Holy Spirit in just three verses, you know. Um, the Holy Spirit was on Simeon. He spoke to Simeon and then he led Simeon to be in the right place at the right time. So how exactly did all that happen? What did that interaction between Simeon and the Holy Spirit look like? The Bible's pretty clear about God wanting to lead us and guide us and speak to us. Book of Romans tells us, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. So in order for us to be led by him, he's going to have to somehow communicate to us the direction that he wants us to go. So, hidden in plain sight, here's our third piece of treasure today. Like Simeon and Anna, God wants to speak to us and lead us. Let's talk for a couple of minutes about how that's going to happen. Will God speak to us in an audible voice? Well, let's just go ahead and admit that if he wants to, he can. Um, we can go to the Old Testament and we can see him doing that, um, speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. We can also see him um, speaking to Balaam through a donkey. Um, in the New Testament, we can see at Jesus' baptism, he speaks to everybody around and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then a little while later, when he's got three disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory of God is all over Jesus, he repeats that same message and then adds to it, listen to him. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. Um, so I think, though, that those times 
of God speaking to us with an audible voice are probably pretty rare. Uh, much more often, he speaks to us in other ways. So how? One of the most important ways that he speaks to us is through the Bible. As we, as we read in the Bible, um, we, we are suddenly uh, sparked by verses there. And, and suddenly something that hadn't meant anything to us before suddenly speaks to us in a new way. And that's not just a New Testament thing. In the Old Testament, Daniel had been in, in Babylon in exile reading from the book of Jeremiah. And as he did that, for the first time, a few verses there jumped off the page at him. And he understood that that time of exile was coming to an end. See? That's what Simeon and Anna had been doing their whole lives. See, they had been fasting and praying and asking God um, to guide them and to lead them. That's what Daniel did when, when he realized all that. He began to fast and pray. So how else does God lead us and speak to us by the Holy Spirit? I'm going to call this one by whispers, nudges, and hunches. Okay? In 1 Kings 19, we read about Elijah. Elijah had been used by God in a really big way, but now he's discouraged, uh, he's hurting, and he really needs to hear from the Lord. So it says that Elijah was standing on the mountain when God passed by. There was a great and strong wind that tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And that's how God spoke to Elijah, in a low whisper. If Elijah hadn't been paying attention, it would have been easy for him to miss it after all that other cataclysmic stuff that had been happening. I think God often speaks to us in a low, gentle whisper. We get a hunch that maybe, maybe I should be doing this. You know, we just, we just get this hunch or we get a nudge where, where we think, you know, I, I just think maybe I'm supposed to do this. But it's easy for us to ignore those things if we want to. I suspect that's how Simeon wound up in the temple that day. See? A whisper, a nudge, or a hunch. I once heard ta somebody talk about we actually get those whispers, nudges, and hunches all the time. But it's easy for the background noise in our lives and our fear of getting it wrong. We just kind of blank it out and we ignore those things. Then he said, I've decided that if the ball gets anywhere close to the plate, I'm going to take a swing at it. And he said, you know what? I strike out more often. I also hit some home runs. Okay? The way to guarantee that we don't ever hit anything is just to stand there and watch the balls go by. We'll never connect with anything that way. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So I met a real-life shepherd one time, and he told me about how that works out in the field. He said that he could pasture his sheep with a large flock of other sheep, and they could all graze together. 
when he wanted to move his sheep to a different place, he would call them. And all his sheep knew his voice. And they would come because they knew that he was their shepherd. They'd learned to listen for his voice. Now, he said the lambs that had been born to those sheep, they really didn't know his voice. So they, they just followed their moms. You know? But he said, sooner or later, they learned my voice too. But in the beginning, they, they didn't know my voice. So they just had to follow the older sheep. Okay? Um, we need to learn the good shepherd's voice. So like Simeon and Anna, we can faithfully follow him and accomplish all that he has called us to. He's put us in this place and this time to live out our part of revealing his son to this generation. All the while, patiently waiting for his return. So are we going to do this smoothly? Probably not. Will we make mistakes? Absolutely, we will. Um, but the same Holy Spirit who led Anna and Simeon to spend their lives listening, learning, and obeying the Lord, will he be faithful to do that with us too? He absolutely will. Okay. Then, like these two old people, we can step onto the stage, we can play our part, and we can step off. See? May God grant us the grace to do this like Simeon and Anna did. Let's pray. Father, we just want to stop and thank you for these two old people, Lord, that the example that they are to us of, of living out faithful lives, lives of, of listening to you. And, and Lord, I'm certain that there was a lot more struggle in both of their lives than we get to see. We know that in Anna's life that, that she was widowed at a really early age. And so, Father, that, that was a struggle for her, and we don't get a lot of detail about that. What we do know is that she picked herself up and she walked with you after that for a really long time. So, Father, we just want to present ourselves to you this morning. We want to ask that you would work in us Lord, we, we mess up often, and I know, Father, that you love us in spite of that. Lord, you love us through that. So, Lord, we pray that you would accept our offering this morning of ourselves. Lord, that you would receive us, that we could faithfully live out all that you've called us to. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.